This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 18. In this episode, Natalie, a licensed clinical psychologist, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. How do narcissists use mirroring on their external environment to build their identity and construct a positive self-perception? 2. I'm taking care of my narcissistic father, who is 70. He is becoming less and less independent every day, and it's really bothering him. He gets so angry and abusive when anyone offers to do something for him. Why is his independence so important? Is there a narcissistic trait to blame for this? 3. Every time my phone rings, I'm terrified that it's the ex calling to hoover me back into the relationship. I feel so powerless when he starts speaking nice to me. Why does hoovering work? I know he's abusive. Why do I still fall for his tricks? 4. I can't stop forgiving my father for the abuse he puts me through. I think it's called the honeymoon phase, but after every time he abuses me, he takes me out to eat, pays my rent, tells me he loves me, etc. How can I escape this cycle of trauma? 5. Why do narcissists gaslight? Why it's so important for them to control our reality? Hi Natalie, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Of course, thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. Yay. Um, Let's get started with the questions. And the first question is, how do narcissists use mirroring on their external environment to build their identity and construct a positive self-perception? Man, the questions this time are really... uh intricate. (laughs) People are really getting into the the topic on a deep level. Um, So I think that, you know, it's pretty well known that that narcissists can use mirroring, or I should say can misuse mirroring as a way of, um, you know, controlling and manipulating other people. But I like what this question is asking in terms of like, well, what is what is mirroring do for them? Right. Uh, like what is, how does it, how do they build their identity, construct positive self-perception? And I would say in response to that, that <clears throat> one of the kind of theories about how narcissistic personality disorder develops is that there is this really deep sense in narcissists that there is no self there instead of having a sense of self, it's like there's this big gaping hole that can never be like filled or fixed or anything, or at least that's what it feels like or what they believe. So I think that narcissists can use mirroring as a way to try to fill that hole a little bit by kind of like, you know, adopting the uh, movements or expressions or uh, things from other people to kind of make themselves feel like there's a bit more of a a personality underneath all of their stuff um, instead of this feeling like there's a void there. Um, And then 
also in terms of the self-perception, you know, narcissists do a great job at seeing people who are making a good impression and kind of mirroring the things that those people are doing in an attempt to kind of garner the same, you know, good impression uh, from others that the original person is getting. So I think it's a combination of trying to fill that void inside to feel like they have more of an identity or more like there's something there. Um, and also as a way to kind of get positive reactions from others that they feel like they might not be able to get otherwise. Thank you. To me, it sounds like pretty scary that there is an individual who feels like there is a void inside them and it's like there's no sense of self. Like, how is that possible? Like, how the sense of self never developed? Like, what would you say to that? <laughs> well, I'd say there's probably a, a lot of ways that could happen. Um, and I don't know, I don't know that there's any kind of one agreed upon way that that can happen. Um, a lot of people would say it's some sort of um, result of attachment trauma early in life, or maybe really, you know, significant amounts of abuse early in life. But I want to give that the caveat of saying that there are plenty of people who have gone through, you know, attachment trauma or, you know, types of abuse as, as young children who don't develop narcissism or, or you know, s large amounts of narcissism. So um, that's definitely not the only thing or, or it, that's not the only way that that can go. Um, I, I think there's probably still work that needs to be done in terms of figuring out why some people have this response to, you know, really negative events early in their life while, while most other people are able to, maybe, maybe they go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, things like that, but they don't develop, you know, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm, thank you. Uh, let's go to the second question. I'm I'm taking care of my narcissistic father who is 70. He's becoming less and less independent every every day and it's really bothering him. He gets so angry and abusive when anyone offers to do something for him. Why is his independence so important? Is there a narcissistic trait to blame for this? Um well, I think that it's understandable for somebody who is becoming less and less independent due to the aging to maybe not be happy with that and not be dealing with it especially well um, without them being, you know, someone who has uh, high levels of narcissism. Um, but I think that, you know, for somebody as this question asker, it seems like they already know that their father uh, is significantly narcissistic. So to speak to that specifically, you know, again, his, his independence may be so important to him because he feels like if he's not able to be uh, an independent, well-functioning adult, maybe he's not anything at all, right? Going back to that kind of feeling of like, if, if you felt like if a certain part of your identity was removed, there would be nothing underneath that, that same kind of void, um, and you were not somebody who was accustomed to dealing with psychological stressors like that in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, you might become angry and abusive instead of trying to address 
you know, that, that underlying sense of emptiness and what you can do to try to, you know, get some healing around that. Um, and that's, there's no excuse for that. It's unfortunate. And I don't, I don't think that somebody being 70 can kind of be like, oh, well, they're too old to figure it out. I think we always have a chance <laughs> to, to get healthier. Um, but if a person is not interested in that and they start to lose this key part of their identity, in this case, their independence, that could be really threatening to them, uh, and could cause them to become even more narcissistic and abusive potentially. Mm, thank you. Uh, follow up question. Do you, uh, what do you think do narcissistic traits in general tend to, um, you know, worse go, go like more bad worse, uh, when people with narcissism age? Well, I really think it can kind of go either way. So on the one hand, what I was taught in school in regard to, so, um, if, if I'm sure you already know this, maybe your listeners already know that, that we kind of roughly clump the personality disorders into these three clusters, cluster A, B, and C. Um, they're kind of like the ones that are similar are in, are in the same clusters and narcissistic personality disorder is part of cluster B. Um, along with um, borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. Um, and what I was taught way back when now <laughs> is that um, B can also stand for the B in cluster B can also stand for burnout in that people with cluster B personality disorders tend to burn out on them when they get older. That's not to say that they go away. And that would be nice, but that's typically not the case with personality disorders, but that, you know, living your life with this nonstop burn to be reactive and controlling and abusive or any of the stuff that can come along with those, like you just burn out on that. Eventually you take so much energy that as you get older, you just kind of get a less and less reactive around it. So that's kind of one school of thought, but I've also seen it, you know, personally in, in my work that people who have, uh, you know, specifically narcissistic personality disorder can honestly just stay the same or possibly even get worse as they get older because their patterns become even more and more entrenched. There's, there's less neuroplasticity in the brain as we age. Like we're always capable of change, but it gets harder the older the brain is. Um, so I really think it can go either way. I think some people do kind of burn out and mellow out a little bit, <laughs> but there are definitely people who don't. Yeah, thank you. Uh, then the third question. Every time my phone rings, I'm ter terrified that it's the ex calling to hoover me back into the relationship. I feel so powerless when he starts speaking nice to me. Why does hoovering work? I know he's abusive. Why do I still fall for his tricks? Well, something I'm going to say here before I, I answer the question. And, you know, granted, this, this question, uh, we don't know the context of this person's situation exactly, right? It's a very... um brief question, but unless, unless this person has children that they are trying to co-parent with this ex, my gut reaction when I hear something like this is, why haven't you blocked this person on your phone yet? 
<laughs> you know, um, in terms of, and I, I say that knowing that that is not an easy thing to do <laughs> for a lot of people. It's not like, oh, just block them on your phone. But I think that if you know that your ex is severely narcissistic, if you know that your ex is going to try to hoover you back into the relationship, if you know that your ex is abusive, I think that those are all great reasons to seriously consider blocking someone from your phone for this exact reason, because this person says, I feel so powerless when he starts speaking nice to me, right? Well, you can nip that in the bud by either not picking up the phone, or if you don't trust yourself to do that, because that's also very hard too, to, for somebody to call and for you to ignore it, right? So then I say, hey, that's why the, what the, that's why blocking is the thing, <laughs> right? Uh, so you don't even have to make that choice to ignore the call. It's just taken care of for you. But again, I want to acknowledge that we don't know the full context of this person's situation. So that may or may not be a workable solution. Um, why does hoovering work? Hoovering works because Typically, these sorts of people are really talented at, you know, uh, psychologically manipulating and abusing people. They, they know exactly what they need to say to make you feel like they are taking the joy and, uh, uh, happiness out of your life. Um, they know, they know, like, uh, they know where your buttons are. Right. They, they've figured out where the, your buttons are and they know exactly how to push them. Right. Which is unfortunate, but true. And I think, you know, in terms of knowing he's abusive, but still falling for his tricks. I mean, unfortunately, again, I think it's because this person is really good at what they're doing. And, and it's not that you are like, you know, quote unquote, weak or quote unquote, you know, any other negative thing, fill in the blank. It's that you are in the crosshairs of somebody who is really well versed at screwing with people. Right. And that can, once you're in that person's crosshairs, it can be a real challenge to get out. Even if you know, this person is abusive, this person is not good for me. Um, I need to stay away from them. Like they have created a dynamic in the relationship that's not going to make that impossible, but is going to make it really, really challenging. Um, so don't, don't be too hard on yourself and, and congratulations that this person is your ex. <laughs> At least you're not still with them. Right. Um, but don't be too hard on yourself about kind of quote unquote falling for it because it's, it's hard not to in these situations. Okay, thank you. This question made me think, and your answer made me think of one one follow-up question that, uh, what do you think, what do narcissists or people with narcissistic uh, traits get out of hoovering? Like what, like, like, like in this question, it's about like X, like why do they still then reach out to their ex and like of course we can't know the situation uh, like uh, the specifics of it but in general do you think they get something out of hoovering yeah i i definitely think they do um i think just off the top of my head it's a couple of things um one is that you know i can't i can't tell you the number of clients that i've worked with who have someone in their life that you know was seriously narcissistic and they decided to end the relationship, whether it was romantic or, you know, 
going no contact with a family member or whatever it was. And, you know, they'll be saying to me, like, it's been six months. It's been two years. It's been however long it's been. Why is this person still going after me? Right. And I think that one of the reasons that these people still go after you, which can look, you know, one of the ways they can do that is looking like hoovering is, is that you had the audacity to do something to them, right? You had the audacity to break up with them. And I'm putting audacity in quotes, by the way, you had the audacity to break up with them. You had the audacity to end whatever the relationship was. And because um, of the nature of, of narcissistic injuries, which is when, when you hurt someone who is seriously narcissistic, they come back at it in such a disproportionate manner to what was done to them. Again, you know, partially due to that kind of lack of sense of self. It's also part uh, ego-based, like they can't handle their ego, can't handle that somebody would quote unquote reject them or whatever it was, that that they are just trying to punish you for for quote unquote doing them wrong when in reality you were just getting out of a really awful situation that you needed to get out of. So I think number one, hoovering can be a way of just continuing to try to hurt you um, because you had the audacity to hurt them. Um, and I think the other thing that hoovering can do is that, you know, narcissists are good at sensing when somebody is moving on and when they are kind of kind of be out of their web of influence. And if they don't want that to be the case, they will come in and hoover up all or at least make it seem like they are hoovering up all the positivity in your new post-narcissist life <laughs> and in the hopes that that will make your new life seem less appealing to you so you will come back into their their uh, vicinity, right? Because they, they want to keep messing with you. So I think it can be a way of retaliating against you, just trying to hurt you, you know, um, or a way to kind of get you back into their life. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, then the fourth question. I can't stop forgiving my father for the abuse he puts me through. I think it's called the honeymoon phase, but after every time he abuses me, he takes me out to eat, pays my rent, tells me he loves me, etc. How can I escape this cycle of trauma? Yeah, I, I really feel for this person who asked this question because this sounds like a really, really tough situation. And yeah, it's the honeymoon phase um, where... You know, they know that they crossed a line with you, that they're in danger of losing you. So they will essentially, you know, manipulate or love bomb or whatever you want to call it to, to try to get you to forgive them. And this can be really tough when they are dangling things in front of you that you value a lot, right? Like maybe you're not in a great uh, financial position. So going out to eat at a fancy restaurant or, oh my gosh, somebody paying your rent, like that's pretty attractive, right? If you're not, if you're not able to, to do those things yourself or if, if, if doing those things takes a huge load off your back. And then of course you want your parent to love you, right? So, you know, telling you that they, they love you and they're so sorry and all that stuff. I mean, this is really like, attractive stuff to dangle in front of somebody that you've abused in the hopes of trying to get them to forgive you. 
And I think that it can be really hard to escape this cycle of trauma. And I think one of the ways to do it, and again, it's really difficult, is to not, you know, it's like a carrot on a stick, right? Is to stop going after the carrot, right? When he says, let me take you out to dinner, when he says, let me pay your rent this month, as much as you might really want or need those things, getting yourself continually trapped in that cycle will just lead you to keep kicking yourself for doing those things. Will it make your life harder to have to pay your rent on your own every month? Yeah, it will. But you have to weigh the pros and cons of like, is does it make me feel better about myself to pay my rent every month and, and to keep my dad at a distance so he can't hurt me? Or does it make me feel better about myself to take what he's offering, give in, and then get abused again, right? And that's really a question only you, only this person can answer. Um, but you, you need to start weighing it like that because neither of these options are easy, but one of them will definitely be easier or make you feel a bit better about yourself. So hopefully doing some, you know, introspection around which option would make you feel better about yourself will hope, hopefully help you figure out, do I keep accepting these things from him after he's abused me? Or do I need to start politely refusing, um, holding boundaries around that and making it work on my own? Thank you. Then let's go to the final question. Sure. Why do narcissists gaslight? Why it's so important for them to control our reality? Our reality. So, as you know, and I think I mentioned it last time I was on the podcast, that I came into the, the world of narcissistic abuse through the world of cult recovery. Um, it, because of many, 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 um, many, many, many narcissistic abuse tactics are used in cults. Um, and when you're in a relationship with somebody who has, you know, a strong narcissism, it's just kind of like a cult of one or two people. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much the same stuff, just on a, on a smaller level. And the reason that I bring this up in regard to this question is that one thing that cults are unfortunately good at is figuring out how to make it easier to control people. How, you know, because humans, you know, some people, I guess, are a little bit more suggestible than others, but by and large, you know, it's not super easy to control someone um, if they're kind of, you know, doing okay and, and uh, living their life. So cults will use many different tactics to make people more controllable, malleable, suggestible. They will do things like, you know, reduce the amount of sleep that you get because I don't know about you, but when I don't get a lot of sleep, I am not in, in my right mind. <laughs> you know, I don't make great choices when I'm, when I'm chronically uh, not getting enough sleep, they will make it. So, you know, a person's uh, deprived of adequate nutrition, right? Because hungry people are uh, controllable people, right? Um, 
And this is similar to gaslighting because when you make someone question their ability to perceive reality correctly and you do that on a repeated basis, that person becomes more controllable because if you are constantly thinking, oh my God, there's something wrong with my ability to perceive reality. I I get things wrong all the time. You're going to be more suggestible when people say, oh, no, no, you're misremembering that or you're misunderstanding it. You got to do it this way. Right. So I think that's the same thing about why narcissists gaslight is that they want to make you easier to control because for them, other people aren't really people. They're just like pawns on a chessboard, right? And the more controllable you are, the the easier of a pawn you are. You're not going to like get up and walk off the chessboard, right? Um, If you're not easily controllable. And why is it so important for them to control your reality? Because they, they thrive off of the sense that they are controlling other people, it, it feeds that void inside of them that they can, you know, they're smarter than other people. They're better than other people. They can get other people to do their bidding. It just feeds their ego and makes them feel so powerful, right? Um, it's kind of the same reason you could say like, well, why do people with antisocial personality disorder like to harm other people and seem to not really feel any remorse or guilt? And it's because they, they like to play with other people, right? It's again, people aren't really people to them. They're just like these things they can play with. And same thing for narcissists. You know, if they can mess with you, if they can control you, if they can get you to do what they want, that just kind of feeds into all these stories that they tell themselves about their importance and specialness. And, you know, uh, it's like they've, they've got, uh, they're little minions running around uh, doing what they say and what they want and fulfilling their needs. And for them, like, you know, that's the, that's, that's the height of life. doesn't get much better than that for them, unfortunately. Thank you so much. Today we had some great questions and great answers. Thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you, Natalie, for joining me today and answering all these questions. Of course. Yeah, like I said, happy to be back and you guys are doing great work. 